Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Great to see some smiling faces, smiling back at me. Uh, before I start, can we pray? Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Fill us and give us ears what you want us to hear today from your message. And Father, let me not be a hinder to your word going out today with power, but let use me as your vessel, weak though I am, um, to bring your word to your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is off script, but I've been feeling a little weak. <laughs> That's why I had to pray. Um, yesterday, just before Tide came for their closing barbecue, I jumped off the truck, kind of fell wrongly, kind of went down on my knees, holding my, uh, on the side of the road. So I'm a little bit on my feet today. Um, yeah, so, so maybe I'm not as frolic as uh, what you're used to, but I'll try my best, okay? Uh, last week I was pondering over the message and which Bible verse um, we'll be going through today. I had got news that our sister in Christ, Lynn, um, had gone to be with the Lord. And then I recalled about five, six years ago, <clears throat> I also happened to be, have been scheduled to bring a message about a week after another dear sister of ours had passed away, leaving two young kids. And as I chatted <clears throat> about that with a friend, um, she's a good friend of the lady, she quipped, you know, <clears throat> once, maybe it's a co coincidence, and twice, it's becoming a pattern. But I don't know if it's a pattern or if it's a coincidence, but well, I believe that in whatever state we come in today, I think God has a word, a personal word to speak to us. And the Bible text I felt was placed on my heart to preach is from Amos. And I'm not going to massage the Bible text to look for words of comfort if there are none in that. You know, that would be dishonest and I would not be faithful to the, to the text. So only God knows why he puts Amos on the agenda today. So maybe at the end of the sermon, if you feel that God has spoken to you through the words of Amos, come to me and let me know. Yeah? I will be going through all nine chapters of Amos in a really broad sweep. And if you have your Bibles, it would be really, really helpful if you open it up and, and turn to it. So the book of Amos, it is quite an obscure book. It is not quite every preacher's favorite book to preach from because a lot of it is on, on, on judgment as you've heard Raksha um, uh, read. And while we want to come to church, you want to sing a few nice songs, you want to hear an uplifting sermon on grace, on mercy, on love, and on hope. And we all want to go home happy and all tanked up, ready for the, the week ahead, right? But Amos is so hard to read because it's so severe. And the only glimmer of hope we see in Amos only comes right in the very last two verses. And unless you came from a church which intentionally preaches through the Bible from the pulpit, it is quite unlikely that you have heard it preached before. 
So I want to see how much we as a congregation know about him and know about the book. So if I'm going to say a few statements, and if you think the statement is true, you do a thumbs up. If you think the statement is false, thumbs down, not sure, let's be honest, let's all do this. But don't look at somebody else. And online, I see Pamela somewhere. Uh, if you want to join in, you can also thumbs up on the, on the reaction. Um, the, this funny face, uh, uh, smiley, or if you think it's wrong, and then a heart if you're not very sure. Okay? Not sure. Right. We'll start easy. The book of Amos is in the Old Testament. Yes. This book belongs to a set of 12 books in total, which we call the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets are called Minor because... They were the less important prophets to the nation of Israel. I'm impressed. Nobody joining in. Um, Amos was the son of a Levite priest. He's a shepherd from verse 1 1 already. He says he's a shepherd. Amos lived in the southern kingdom in the time of the divided kingdoms. Amos is never quoted in the New Testament. <laughs> well, 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 we'll go through all of that in, in, in the sermon. Well, well then. At the time, well, actually, oh, I see a thumbs, I see a thumbs. Okay, we'll continue. We'll continue. At the time when, when Amos received his vision for God, well, as the result of we see Amos, the book of Amos, he was a shepherd. He also tended to sycamore fig trees, and he says that himself. And he lived in the southern kingdom. But curiously, his vision was with regard to the northern kingdom. So he had to go to the north to them. And I said, curiously, because why did God need to raise up an outsider? Couldn't he have given the same vision to anybody in the north? We'll come back to that later. And if you're wondering what is this North and South Kingdom I'm talking about, well, you're probably quite fortunate you didn't have to memorize all those dates as part of your education. But, okay, so, a quick background. And this is the history of the Israelites in 60 seconds. I will start with everybody's favorite character, with Moses. Moses, he brings the Israelites out of Egypt. They wander around for 40 years in the desert. Joshua, he brings them across the Jordan into the Promised Land. The 12 Israelite tribes and they are then allocated their lands within the promised land and then the Israelites start looking around at the foreign nations around them and all those nations they have kings so they ask God to give a king to rule over them and God says no 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 that's not a very good idea but if that's what you want well okay then you get what you want God gives them Saul and Saul goes a bit cuckoo when, you know, David, who's his general, he gets more fame, he wins more battles than, than Saul. And then anyway, Saul dies. Um, yeah, David becomes king. He dies. His son Solomon becomes king. Solomon also dies. Seeing a pattern here. His, his son succeeds him. The son is a bad king. And so there's a power struggle civil war in the country. The kingdom of Israel splits into two at this point. The ten tribes to the north, 
they split off and to follow, to follow one king. And the two tribes, they remain with the, the sitting king. And that's where they, where they are. And their place of worship is in Jerusalem. So this is what I refer to as the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. The kingdom to the north is most confusingly called Israel, and you'll hear that in Amos. The kingdom to the south is called Judah. I love this. So I just summarized for you first and second Samuel, first and second King, Kings, and first and most of first and second Chronicles in the last two minutes. It was the most too efficient two minutes you spent in church today. <laughs> so now these two split kingdoms, they have their own line of kings, own line of priests, and their own center of worship and that's their temple. One of them, Bethel, is mentioned in Amos. In Hebrew, Beth, house, El, God. So, house of God. And when you read, for example, in 4.4, God says, of Israel, go to Bethel and sin. And in 5.5, when God says, seek me and not Bethel, he's talking about going to the temple. And then periodically, God would raise up a prophet to send his word to the people of the north and south kingdoms. Well, not all the prophets wrote books, but of those who did, the major prophets you may know are Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And our Amos belongs to one of the 12 minor prophets. Did I say just now why it was minor? Well, they were minor only because not they're not so important was because they just have shorter books if you compare Amos with Jeremiah, for example. Um, so of these 12 minor prophets, only two were sent to prophesy to the Northern Kingdom, and that is Amos and Hosea. And that's quite important. You'll have to listen up to see why. And our story in Amos, it takes place about 180 years from the point where the kingdom splits into north and south. So we are talking about, what, 750 plus BC? If you put that in context, at the time, Rome hadn't even been founded yet. Well, or maybe, well, 752, 3, that was um, the founding of Rome. And at this point in history, both the northern and southern kingdoms were actually doing quite well. Some historians say politically and economically, they were at the height of their power and prosperity. Well, or at least as powerful um, and as prosperous as a nation of their size could have been. But within 60 years of Amos' warning to Israel, the Northern Kingdom was to be taken away into exile by the Assyrians. Remember in Deuteronomy 18, God gave a test of how to know if the prophet is truly speaking God's word? Deuteronomy 18.22 If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The judgment that Amos foretold came true. So into the setting of peace and prosperity, Amos comes. His name in Hebrew is also really fitting for his message. Any guesses? His name in Hebrew means burden. I mean, what a name to be calling your child, right? I mean, he must have been the butt of so many jokes when he was growing up. Oh, look, here comes Amos. I'm wondering what he's carrying with him today or thereabouts. So 
Amos, he's minding his own business, or should I say he's minding his sheep because he was a shepherd. When the Lord shows him his vision of judgment on the surrounding nations and his indictment against the northern kingdom of Israel. And as I mentioned in the beginning, Amos lived in the southern kingdom, but he was called to prophesy in the northern kingdom. And I can only imagine how much courage it took for him, a lowly shepherd, to, be, to go up to the temple of worship, to stand up in, in a foreign city, foreign land, hostile um, listeners to say, to pronounce God's judgment on them. Maybe the fact that his name was Burden and gave him training in the, when he was young, I don't know. So, as I was, look, I was thinking about that, and he was completely walking in God's will. I felt this truth speak to me. Who says that if you're walking exactly in God's will, your life is going to be easy and breezy? And why did God have to bring an outsider to preach the word to the people in the Northern Kingdom? Honestly, I don't really have a definite answer but I think that the priestly class at that point was so corrupt that by this time, God couldn't even find anybody to bring the message that he could use as his mouthpiece. So God chose a nobody and made him a somebody. And if you have read through and understood the Bible, you would know that this is God's usual way of operating. God chose Moses. He was a stuttering murderer to lead his people out of Egypt. He chose Jacob. He was a cheat who took his brother's birthright by lying to his own elderly father. He chose the smallest tribe of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, to be where Jesus' genealogy can be traced back to. And he chose a motley crew of uneducated what fishermen to take his word to the ends of the world. So God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So that at the end of the day, it is God who gets the glory. Amen? Yeah. Not us. No one should and can boast that it was all because of my own efforts, my own intelligence, or my influence, my money, my power, that I achieved all these things. And the Northern Kingdom thought they were good with God too because they had everything going for them at that time. But that was far from the truth. God was very, very angry with them. So Amos begins in chapters 1 and 2 with pronouncements of judgment first on Israel's neighbours, surrounding neighbours. It's Damascus, Gaza and Tyre. And I can imagine when Moses starts prophesying in the, in the temple, you know, all those hearing where I said, aye, aye, these people didn't deserve this judgment. Preach it, preach it, brother. You know, how funny sometimes that it is someone else who always deserves that judgment coming to them, right? I mean, whereas we, we always deserve the grace, the mercy, and the understanding. Of course, I did what I did. And then he moves closer. He moves to Edom. Ammon, Moab. And these were cousins of Israel, relatives. The Edomites 
were Esau's descendants. The Ammonites and the Moabites were descendants of Lot. But I still think there must have still been cheering and high fives because, well, they are family, but they are five times removed. So, so who cares? But then, Moses, in a very skillful way of preaching, he draws it even closer. He pronounces judgment on Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom. I imagine now the crowd in the temple, hmm, they're becoming less vocal at this point. And finally, Amos ends his chapter 2 with a long indictment against Israel. But what was Israel doing that was so bad? That God would pronounce such a terrible judgment on her. God gives his reasons in chapter 3. But the thing about our God that is that he never just drops judgment without first giving people warnings and an opportunity to repent. Now, as Romans 1.20 says, at the end of the day, there is no one with a valid excuse for denying God. In chapter 4, we see that God put Israel through all kinds of calamities and difficulties so that what? So that Israel would turn back to God. But, but they didn't. This phrase, yet you did not return to me, is repeated five times in a very, very short chapter of just 13 verses. Five times. So what is the truth that we can glean from here? If we turn away from God, He will give us opportunity, opportunity after opportunity to turn back to Him. And one of these ways may be that something bad happens. Well, something bad that happens not of our own doing, of course. But before you think, now what a harsh and mean God that is. You know, you send the people through famine, through drought, just to get their attention. You need to be reading Hosea. Together with Amos. Hosea, like I mentioned, also prophesied in the same time period as Amos. And also to the northern kingdom. And as much as Amos is severe with judgment, is Hosea tender and pleading? As much as Amos displays God's anger at the Israelites for this, their disobedience, Hosea displays the long-suffering love of God as one whose love has been rejected by his lover. So these two prophetic books, Amos and Hosea, in these two, we see the two facets, facets of God's character coming together. In Amos, God is just. He cannot allow wrongdoing to go unpunished. And in Hosea, God is love. God goes after the wayward harlot and brings her back over and over again. Even though after he, he brings her back, he, she leaves. So if we truly want to know what our God is like, we need to know and understand the entire Bible. And, you know, it's, it's nice to focus on certain parts of the Bible which we like, but it's just like, I was just thinking of an example, like my husband taking a picture of, of me, say, in the morning with, with, with messy hair and grudgy face, 
and then telling everybody, hey, this is how exactly how my wife is like. But that's not right, right? So my question to us this morning is, do, do we know God? Do we really know God? Or do we just know just snapshots of him? He's given us his revelation of him. So we move on. God's indictment against Israel was that they have forsaken their God and they have ignored God's many attempts to bring them back. But surely Israel couldn't have been that bad. They were still doing their religious duties of regularly going to the temple. They were celebrating the feast together. They were bringing offerings to God and even worship, worshiping together. I mean, I go to church regularly, right? You see me almost every Sunday. Um, I celebrate Christmas, I celebrate Easter, I tithe. I even contribute food to our community lunches. Um, what more can God ask of me? Hear what God has to say to Israel in chapter 5, 21 to 23. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice offerings, fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. So Israel was outwardly keeping to their religious rituals, but there was very, something really, really wrong with their hearts. God wasn't in their hearts because God saw, and because God saw through their hypocrisy, he rejected all, all their acts of piety and worship. So the Israelites, they had an exemplary religious life, but their life outside of church did not dwell with we don't, we did not dwell, uh, um, dwell with that. But you see, God is not after the stuff that we can bring to him. He is not interested in our outward performances at church. He wants to be in the center of our hearts. And if he's in the center of our hearts, then what God is concerned about must also be what we are concerned about. You agree? In chapter 5, we see quite clearly what God is concerned about. He is concerned about one, justice. He's concerned about holding, upholding what is true, what is right, what is good. And secondly, God is concerned about protecting the poor, the powerless, and the needy. Last week, we were presented with a dramatized reading of the Good Samaritan and um, the religious teacher stood up and asked Jesus what must I do to inherit eternal life and what was what was Jesus reply love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself you see God's heart has always been for people 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 we see it in the book of Amos. We see it all over the pages of the New Testament. 
religious ritual is but a stench to God if it isn't accompanied by the right treatment of others. And Amos goes on in chapter 6 to pronounce, whoa, 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 I think he says it three, four times, to those living in complacency of ease, of self-indulgence. In chapter 7, God shows Amos more visions of this destruction of Israel. First, a vision of locusts decimating the land. Secondly, fire, which devoured the land. And for each of the visions, what does Amos do? He pleads with God for mercy on Israel. And twice we read, the Lord relented concerning this. And up to now, it's only been judgment and doom, but here finally we see hope. And despite God's great, great anger towards the evil that Israel was doing, the petition of just one man, one shepherd, a nobody, was enough to get God to relent. And here again we see the two facets of God coming together. On the one hand, a just God must ensure that evil is punished but on the other hand, God is loving and He's merciful. He cannot wait to extend His love and mercy to us. We just need to ask. It took one man, just one man's prayer, to stop God's hand of judgment. And this is the important truth that we need to know. We in church, we need to know. You may be that one man in your home. You may be that one man in your school or your work, or in your areas of influence. But God is sovereign, and He hears our prayers, and He's moved by our prayers. Does it not encourage you to continue to pray for your family, for your loved ones, for your colleagues, and for our nation? I just want to draw out one last thing in chapter 7 before moving on to chapter 8. In 7-7, Amos sees the Lord with a plumb line in his hand. Does anybody not know what a plumb line is used for? Well, this is this string with um, a weight at the end of the, of the string, right? It is used by builders to ensure that the wall they are building is straight. So God is saying that there is a standard by which he measures us. And that standard is himself. And if our, God, if, if our Bible stops at Amos, that's it, we shall all despair because we know our faith will be like that of Israel. Because there is no one righteous, not one. But our Bible goes on to the New Testament. And we know from our Colossians 1 reading today that it is God in the person of Jesus Christ who through his death on the cross reconcile us back to him. So if we put on Jesus' righteousness, not our own, one day we will stand before the holy and blameless God, ourselves holy and blameless because of Jesus, when we see him face to face. I hope that's encouragement to all of us. So we stand not under our own works, but under the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we need not fear 
the judgment represented by the basket of fruits that we read in chapter 8. The vision Amos sees of this ripe basket of fruit represents that the time is so ripe for judgment. God charges the Israelites of just going through the motions in church. In 9.5, we read, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market our wheat? The Israelites, they wanted their religious rituals to be over quickly, so that they can go back to what they wanted to do. Have I, have we not looked at our watches and wondered where will we be going for where will we be going for lunch after church? Well, the pastor goes on and on about his, with his sermon. Or have we not really complained in our hearts when the service goes on just a little bit longer than what we than usual? But God is calling us to examine our hearts and ask ourselves the real question why we are here today. Is it out of sheer force of habit? You've been going to church since you were young, you've been brought to church. Or a sense of religious duty. You have things to do in church, I need to preach in church, I need to teach at kids' church or whatnot. Or is it from a desire to be in his presence and to give him the worship that is due? Chapter 9, the final chapter, continues with Amos' vision of the extent of God's judgment on Israel. But in his mercy, God will not completely destroy Israel. Finally, in a book full of gloom and doom and destruction, we see one glimmer of hope in the closing verses of this book. Chapter 9, 11 to 12 speaks of a time when God says he will restore Israel, and not only Israel, but also the Gentile nations. Amos, in his vision, looked forward to the time when God's people will include the Gentiles. That's us, or most of us. And we know this because in Acts 15, this verse was used to show to the council that was gathered at Jerusalem to explain that it was always God's intention that God's chosen people was to include non-Israelites. And the time had now come for the Gentile inclusion into the people of God. And so we end this, fortunately, still with hope for us and hope for the nations that despite God's great anger against religious hypocrisy within the people of God, he will preserve a remnant to return to him. And we, the Gentiles, have become the recipients of this grace. Amen. Can I say a short word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this grace. But let us not take this grace lightly. Let us remember that it was paid for by the blood of Jesus on the, on, on the cross. And Father, with this knowledge, let us, let us bear your heart and go to the nations 
and speak of your truth and speak of your love for them such that we may such that the fullness of all the gentle numbers may come in and you may return to your glorious coming again i pray this in jesus name amen